And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Natalie DeVette, international award-winning artist who has sold her work across the world since 1996. Natalie survived an attack in 1999, and during the ordeal, she had several out-of-body experiences and later discovered that her incident was considered a near-death experience by researchers. Natalie, thank you for being our podcast guest, and welcome. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it, and I hope everybody who says this is their bedtime story enjoys the story. Um, as Jeff said, my NDE was um, an attack, and because it was extremely violent, um, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to elaborate on it. Um, I want to try and focus on the spiritual aspects of what happened in that incident when I had the out-of-body experience. But in order to do that, I feel that you need to understand my frame of reference because everybody comes into their near-death experience with a frame of reference, whether they are religious or Hindu or um, spiritualist or into metaphysics or whatever. They all go into their experience with a measure of understanding. So my... um, My NDE was classified a religious NDE because of references to Jesus. Um, But I do not view myself as religious. Um, So what I'm going to do is, um, sorry, is I'm going to go back to the beginning for me of spiritual stuff, which is 1979 approximately. I had what is termed in Christianity an open vision. So when um, Stephen was being stoned, he saw Jesus, you know, Jesus was revealed to him, and that would be considered an open vision where you see into the spiritual realm. So another way of explaining that is if you're in a planetarium and they're shining the, the, the dark um, sky onto the roof and you look up and you feel like you are in the outside, you you looking at the stars. Um, but then if you can imagine sort of like a hologram around you and you actually inside that hologram, or if it was a movie, you would be inside the screen in that movie. So that's kind of what an open vision is like. You are interacting with this vision and you're in it Um it's all around you and it's it's very living and alive. So that was my first experience of Jesus. And um, I didn't have a religious background. We didn't go to church. We didn't have any religion. I didn't know who Jesus was. Um, this was before I started school where we started, where we were taught a little bit about the Bible and we used to have prayer at school and that sort of thing. But this was, this happened before I knew who Jesus was. And so in this open vision, um, 
somebody has said that maybe it was a lucid dream, but I researched a little bit about lucid dreams and I don't think it was a lucid dream. I was awake. I went to the toilet. I came back into my bedroom and I was caught up into this place and it was like a maze and I was running through the maze and then at the, at all these exits, I felt like I couldn't get through and I got down onto my knees and sort of like forgiving, uh, uh, giving up, you know, just onto my knees. And um, then I heard this voice behind me and the voice said, the only way out is up. And I looked up and as I looked up, I saw Jesus. And this, what I saw was a man in surrounded by light and he was a little bit elevated off of the floor but he went through the ceiling. It was like um, like matter, like the the world that we see didn't matter. Like he, he transcended matter. Um, so he, he was just standing there and he had his hands open to me. And um, I thought at first that it was like a still picture, like a like when, when people talk about a vision, I imagine that they spoke about a still picture. But then this being or um, this entity or whatever you wish to call it moved and smiled at me and I knew that it was a living, moving being and it, was, it wasn't just a still picture. So at that exact moment when I looked up, my spirit if you if you break your body into three parts, the body, the soul, and the spirit, um, if the body is this physical plaything that just dies <laughs> and the soul is my personality and my spirit is the part that connects to the, the greater light, my spirit knew who this being was. So my soul didn't know, but my spirit knew. And so out of my mouth, I said, Jesus. and then my ears were like, oh, is that who it is? And I also got quite a fright because my sister was in my bedroom. We shared a bedroom. And so I looked across to her quickly to make sure that, you know, I hadn't woken her up because here I am going, Jesus, you know. And um, but, but my soul went, oh, who's that? And then I, I went to sleep and I woke up the next morning and I went to my father and I said to him, who's Jesus? And we got talking about the vision. And because I came from a non-religious family, um, I wasn't told who Jesus was from a Christian perspective. Um, my father said that Jesus was my imaginary friend. And for the next 20 years, <laughs> I spoke to my imaginary friend. And um, to me, he's not my imaginary friend. To me, he's just living and real and he's a person who I just spoke to. So um, I wrote notes here just to make sure that I don't go too much off track. Um, okay, so the thing that really I really struggled with this was the Jesus that I saw had dark hair, a dark beard, dark um, moustache and dark eyes, um, brown eyes. 
And the Jesus that I was being presented with in school in the artwork and the pictures and all this kind of stuff was this blonde, skinny guy who looked frail <laughs> and he had blue eyes. And I was like, I don't know who that is <laughs> because he wasn't the Jesus that I had seen or that my spirit knew. The Jesus that I had seen was strong and he had big hands, you know, he had strong hands. And um, I painted a picture which I will share because I'm an artist, so I speak through my art. Um, I think you can see that. Yeah. So, so that was kind of my Jesus was this um, Jewish Jesus, but I didn't know that he was a Jewish Jesus. And then my path of trying to discover him was. Um, so, so I didn't, I didn't have a church. We didn't, I didn't go to church, but, um, in school we were told about Jesus. And so I said to my parents that I wanted to go to a church and they'd got married in the Baptist church. So they said that I could go there and I went there and I started hearing about the father, the son and the Holy spirit. And, I said, they're always praying to the Father and the Son. And I said, well, what about the Holy Spirit? And um, the minister said to me, no, we don't, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And I said, why? And he said, because we're scared of the power. And that just frustrated me. So I wanted to know more about the Holy Spirit. And I wanted to know more about Jesus, like the Jewish Jesus. And I felt like I wasn't really finding him. They were talking about Jesus, but it was kind of like, is this another Jesus? <laughs> And um, so along the way, my dad had a lot of different books in our house. Um, he used to get them from clients. So we had the meaning of the Quran. We had uh, the Book of Mormon. We had philosophical books, theos theological society, metaphysics, um, astrology. We had a, a lot of books. And so I was allowed to read them and look at them, but I didn't really enjoy reading. But I, I could look at them with no, you know, there wasn't that Christian, oh, don't, don't read those books, you know. It was fine. I could read them. So I went on a journey of discovering the five major religions, which is Judaism, Christianity, Islam, Buddhism, and Hinduism, and questioning them. And what I found was that Jesus was recognized in like, for example, in the Quran, he's in the Quran. And in Judaism, he's seen as the false Messiah. And in Christianity, he's seen as God. But then there's some sects in Christianity that don't see him as divine. They see him as just a man. And so um, so I was discovering him, and it felt like the place where I found out the most about him was in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where the men are talking about Jesus and they speak about his life from beginning to end. And so reading the Gospels in harmony where they like overlap each other and tell the same stories made the most sense. And because I struggled to read, I was actually, um, I was born with a bit of deafness in my ear and so I struggled 
to comprehend sounds when like when I was young, my family teased me that I used to say in dem des mord because that's what I was hearing was dem des instead of and then there is. So um, so I struggled to learn how to read. But then uh, I had a lot of Christians telling me that I needed Jesus. And I couldn't understand because I had Jesus. He was my imaginary friend. <laughs> so... Um, then one day I met this young girl who invited me to her church and their church had all the stuff about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so I went to this church and at first I just thought they were really weird. But then I realized that this is what I'd been, I'd been saying, like I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. And it was like, you know, trust your journey, you being led on this path, you're being shown things like trust your journey. So I got involved with this church and I got what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We all spirit filled, um, believing in and receiving, you know, things like speaking in tongues and that sort of thing. And for me, that makes a lot of sense because on my uh, looking into Judaism and all of that, there was a measure of Kabbalah, and I'm going to get back to that, but Kabbalah is Jewish mysticism, and the stuff with the Holy Spirit was Christian mysticism. And so the thing that I was discovering was that the Baptist church where I'd come from was what they call a fundamental church or the cessationists, cessationalists, which I say cessationalists, because they believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased and that it was just there for the time of the 12 uh, disciples and now it's not here for today. And the people that believe in the things of the Holy Spirit believe that it is for today. And so um, my belief is Jesus said he was going to send the Holy Spirit and he said, and he will be with you forever. He didn't say, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and then when those 12 die, I'm going to just take him back. So to me, it made sense that the Holy Spirit was still active and alive today. And so in high school, I used to tell everybody, I believe in miracles. And the reason for that was because my hearing was healed. When I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, I could hear and my, my hearing was restored. And so um, I could hear, which meant I could understand language better. And I was so excited about reading. And then when I read the Bible, it was alive. And I was, it, it was like, it was a spiritual book and it was feeding my spirit. And I was really excited about it. And so I became what people would call like a fanatic or a Jesus freak or whatever. But I wasn't really. I was just so excited for the miracle of being able to hear. And, um, you know, like I knew, I, I used to say, um, I believe in miracles. And so a little friend <laughs> at school was ridiculing me and they gave me a little badge and it said, I believe in miracles. And they were mocking me and saying, oh, here's a little badge for you. And I wore it with pride. I was so like, yes, I do. <laughs> I'm healed, you know. So I was really excited about that. And um, and so my uh, journey was 
where, where Jesus turned the water into wine, Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And that was my life. I used to just do whatever he told me to do, no matter how stupid it sounded or outrageous because I would hear him, he would talk to me and I would just do whatever he told me to do. So he would tell me things like he wanted to heal somebody and then I would go and I would talk to that person and they'd get healed. And um, I used to have dreams and then I would tell people what I dreamt. There was a girl in primary school that told me years later on Facebook that I had said to her, oh, you're coming back to, you know, I know you're leaving the school, but you're going to come back to the school um, because I had a dream. But I used to say I had a dream, but I didn't want to tell people actually sometimes I see visions because <laughs> people think you're a bit crazy. So, um, so I used to just call it a dream. And um, I said to her, no, you're coming back to school. And she did come back to the school. And she said years later on Facebook, she said it actually that stayed with me for forever that you said I would come back and I came back. And so there were many things like that. I prophesied, okay, so in Christianity, it's called prophecy. Um, so I prophesied my dad's dying and I told my mother he's got five years left to live. And, of course, my mother was upset, but she treasured him for those five years and he died of cancer. Um, but God had told me. He gave me a verse and he said, give this verse to your dad and if he rejects it, he will die. And I gave my dad the verse and he said, oh, take your religion. <laughs> I was like, it's not religion. Jesus is not religion. Jesus is Jesus. Anyway, and so um, so I knew that he was going to go. And before he died, he actually did accept Jesus. And I don't know how. It wasn't with me. I didn't talk to him. But I remember walking in to the house and I had always, so I see things in people's faces. I see um, like the movie, The Devil's Advocate, where you see things crawling under the skin. I see that sometimes. And so on my dad, there was this um, veil across his eyes. And um, I walked into the house and it was gone. And I said to him, it's, it's gone. You, and he said, what, what's gone? And I said, you, you know, it's gone. The the not knowing or whatever the veil is gone like you've got that you don't have that veil anymore and um and then I noticed that he had a bible next to his bed and there was a minister who lived next door and the minister used to come and read to him and talk to him about the bible so it was really interesting how my whole life he had rejected that but right at the end he you could see that he had come to a different understanding of stuff um, so another thing that happened during this time of being baptized in the Holy Spirit and going to this church that embraced those things was seeing more open visions. And one of the open visions was, um, well, the one that Jesus, I think, wants me to share with you is the one about his cross. Um, so I had been really obsessed with understanding the crucifixion. I couldn't understand I didn't understand it and why like why why did he have to be crucified so um and so one day I said to him you know I really want to understand the crucifixion and I was slain in the spirit or lying down on the ground and I saw this piece of wood 
and it was really rough and um it was about 10 centimeters by two centimeters and I was looking at this piece of wood and I was thinking what are you trying to show me is this my heart have I got like such a hard heart and um I don't know what it was and then I was looking at it and it was really 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 rough like not sandpapered or was terrible it was like um like had like um splints of wood you know and so then he said to me this is from my cross and I just burst out crying because suddenly I had this like whoa you know that cross was was sticking into your back and that that's not nice you know this was before the passion movie and obviously the passion movie gives us a much clearer understanding of the reality of the cross. But at that point, the only thing I'd seen about the cross was these little statues in churches, which make him look anemic and skinny. Um, But I hadn't really recognized the pain. And so I cried. And then he said, you can't handle 10 centimeters of my cross. You're not going to be able to handle you know, seeing and understanding the crucifixion. So I was happy with that. That was enough information. I didn't need to know more. (laughs) And, you know, many years passed and I got a lot older when I saw the Passion movie and that was okay because I was older. Um, So in my uh, open visions, one of the visions that I had, which was really beautiful, was during a worship we were just worshiping, we were just singing songs. Um, he showed me what was going on in the spiritual realm, and there were angels all around the ceiling. And as they were worshiping him, I call it sparkle dust, but there was this um, there was this like sparkle dust that was coming off of their wings as they were singing. Their wings were making music. And the and their, their voices and their wings. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and so this dust was like collecting, and it was collecting in in the the sort of like that same thing about the the Jesus vision right at the beginning, where it transcends the natural. It's like in the natural, but it's not in the natural. It's like another realm. Um, so it was there, but it was like gathering on the roof of this church building. And then in the natural, um, you could see this cloud coming down over, you know, like, I don't know, maybe some people couldn't see it. I don't know, but I could see that. So, um, this cloud came down and then years later, I heard people speaking about, sorry, bump the table here. Um, speaking about the glory cloud. And so I started understanding that this first vision that I had, the shining light around him was his glory. And um, in time, I would call that the Shekinah glory or the visible glory of God. And so that was my understanding or my frame of reference that I went into the armed robbery with. So um, what we called it an armed robbery in South Africa, but in um, in South Africa the terminology was played down because things were pretty bad in the 90s, and um, 
let me stick with the plan. <laughs> so, um, so what happened was I was on this mission. And I was listening to Jesus and I was doing whatever he told me to do. And I went all over the world. I went to uh, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Zambia. And those, like in Zambia, I was doing mercy missions, which is where you go and you feed the poor and you do that kind of thing. And we were also doing um, mass evangelism where we showed the Jesus film to people and I wasn't running it or anything. I was just one of the people who went on the team, um, more like learning, learning about how to do these things. And um, then I went back to South Africa and I was working part-time. So I'd studied in secretarial college and I was taking on secretarial jobs and um, bookkeeping and admin jobs. And then I would leave again and I'd go on the next trip. And so I would, I would work part-time fulfilling like short times, short term assignments. And then I would go on trips. And um, then the Lord was talking to me about going to Hawaii. And as a South African, going to Hawaii is kind of like, <sighs> as a South African 20 year old, it's like what you know you you have to save up maybe at that stage maybe six times like one rand would be like i mean six rand would be one dollar so you have to like save up six times as much to just try and even comprehend getting to america and of course for older people who've built up their retirement or whatever it might be different but for a young person who's just started working it was like crazy and, um, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll go to Hawaii. <laughs> I'll go on this missionary training course with, um, this organization called YWAM, Youth with a Mission. And so I enrolled, I signed on at the missionary course and I didn't have a clue how I was going to pay for it. And so I did everything in my own means to try and get there. Um, I started cooking muffins every single morning and driving my father crazy with the mess in the kitchen. And I would take um, the muffins to work and I would sell them. And I was trying to, they called me the muffin lady. And um, I was trying everything in my own strength to get enough money to get on this course. You know, what a logical person would do is like pay for your course. And God said to me, I want you to trust me for the provisions. And I don't want you to buy toothpaste. And I thought, okay. So I didn't buy toothpaste. And I just let the tube come to the end. And as it was getting closer to the end, I was getting more anxious. And then on the last day, I was just like, okay, God, you didn't supply. I'm going to go and buy toothpaste today. <laughs> and I arrived at work and I was working in an advertising company. And I was one of the senior secretaries. And on my desk was a pack of six tubes of Colgate toothpaste because we had taken on Colgate as a client. And so I just burst out laughing and I thought, you know what? He's never late. And he does things like, I just mustn't worry about this. I must just trust him. But you have in the Bible, it talks about your spirit and your flesh and they're at war with each other all the time. So my spirit was quite confident that God was going to do this, but my flesh was so not sure. I thought I must be crazy. Who in their right mind 
is going to try and attempt what I'm doing. Anyway, so one of the other things that happened also involving angels was um, while I was working, I had given notice at this company and I went to lunch across the road. So the, the building was across the road from a shopping center and there was a like a grocery food kind of um, shop within the shopping center. And when you came out of the, it was called Checkers. When you came out of Checkers, there was this huge open um, like entranceway that was like a walkway. And because it was during the day, there was no one there. You might see two or three people walking through. It was very, very quiet. But on weekends or um you know, whenever it was busy, it would have like would have been busy. But for me, just on a normal week work day, that that open area outside this grocery thing was very quiet. So what happened was I went in to the grocery store and I was trying so hard not to spend money and trying so hard to do this trip in my own strength. And um I was standing in the queue to pay for my lunch and there was this big black cripple lady in front of me. And, um, she was saying, Oh, I can't, I can't pay for this. I'll just leave this aside. And she put something aside and, uh, she took the rest of her stuff and she walked off and I looked at her and I thought, well, she is crippled. I can catch up to her. And I, I was warring with God because God was saying pay for her thing. And I was going, I don't want to spend money. But I was like, okay, I'll pay for, I'll pay for her thing, and I'll I'll catch up to her because she's crippled. So I said to the cashier, just add that in. Um, paid for whatever it was. I didn't look at it. She just added it in, and I got my lunch and started walking behind her. And she was in front of me. I could see her, and I was walking up to her. And um, as I got to the corner like you turn out of the shop into this open area she turned the corner she was about a meter in front of me and then I turned the corner and she was gone like didn't exist Hmm. (laughs) and I was so angry (laughs) I was saying god I've wasted money and I'm trying so hard to save money and I was just having my little tantrum and then when I finished he said look down And I was holding this thing in my hand, but I hadn't looked at it yet. And I looked down and it was a pencil case, like for a little child with a rainbow on the, like a little rainbow picture and the word Hawaii. And I just knew in that moment he was saying, because the the rainbow with Moses was a sign of his promise. And Hawaii was God saying, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. And it was like, I promise you, I'm going to take you to Hawaii. (laughs) So um, it was just like, wow, God, you know, and I just started laughing. And I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that I had such a bad attitude. I'm so sorry that I was angry at you and you know better. And, you know, I mustn't worry about money. Like you're going to sort this out. Anyway, so then all my muffin money, I went and bought myself a suitcase and I was getting ready now, you know, I've got my suitcase to go and my house was broken. Well, I stayed in a garden cottage on my parents' property. Um, it was broken into, they stole the suitcase. They put all my clothes, all my underwear, all my jewelry. They put everything that they could into this bag. They left me with very little stuff. 
and off they went. And I was like, right, okay, so now not only am I crazy and I'm going around the world with no money, no suitcase, no clothes, I've seen angels, I'm telling people like I've seen angels and they're disappearing in front of me. God's taking me to Hawaii. I've got this pencil case, you know, don't don't you believe me? <laughs> so, of course, I look like a complete idiot. Um, and so the um, the thing was that I knew, I knew God was going to do it. I didn't know how he was going to do it. And um, the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so for me, it was a major, major learning thing about stepping out of this realm and stepping into the spiritual realm and living there. And, and, and you know, in uh, a lot of people's near-death experiences and people that have been on here, they talk about manifesting. And so if I had to use the word manifesting, I would say, like, I had to manifest Hawaii. You know, I had to manifest the airplane ticket. And um, in Christian terminology, it would be walk by faith and not by sight and receive it by faith. And so I had to learn a lot about how to do that. But to cut a long story short, I ended up in Hawaii. I saw more angels. I didn't have an airplane ticket, but at the boarding pass, I got a boarding pass, um, which God sorted out and everything. And the things that I've spoken about, I, I haven't spoken about this in my book, the, the angels in the ceiling, but the Jesus, um, the Jesus vision that I saw when I was younger and the whole trip going to Hawaii, going to Israel, going to Amsterdam, uh, the supernatural provision, the angels, the no airplane ticket and just going and God's providing in the like 11th hour and all that kind of stuff. I wrote my story, um, in my book, discovering an artist so it's not specifically a near-death book there is a chapter just chapter 13 I called it unlucky 13 which talks about um, the near-death experience because to me living in South Africa it was just something that you live through get over and carry on and after the um, experience I carried on. I still lived in South Africa for another seven years. Um, the reason why we left was completely unrelated to the near-death experience. But um, what happened uh, with the near-death experience, the, the part that I want to highlight was because I had this frame of reference, 20 years of knowing who Jesus was, struggling with not not understanding the Christian Jesus and the Jewish Jesus and trying to put them together, um, but just talking to him. So I didn't have Christianity. I didn't have like religion and church and that sort of thing, but I read the Bible. And um, the Bible that I mostly went to it's called the Tanakh. So it's the Jewish Bible, but it's written in Hebrew. So I had to get um, like an English translation of it, which came years later after the near-death experience. But the journey that I was on was basically learning to understand the different types of Bibles. So the Tanakh is the same as the Christian Old Testament, 
but the book of Chronicles is at the end. It's about the only, there's not much difference. And then the Torah is the same as the Pentateuch or the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. So the Torah is the beginning of the Tanakh or the beginning of the Old Testament. And then um, you get other books that Jewish people use, like the Talmud, which is a commentary, a, a rabbinical commentary. And so I didn't choose that. I, I just focused on the Tanakh and the Torah. And so my, oh, and the New Testament. So the Old Testament um, and the New Testament. So a Bible like this, which is um, the complete Jewish Bible, this is, it's got the Old Testament and it's got the New Testament. So it's, it would basically be like Messianic Jews or Jews that believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So that was my frame of reference that I was coming from, like a Jewish Jesus. And then um, the experiences that I was having with Christians and Christianity and that sort of thing, were leaving me very bitter and um, I wrote this down. <laughs> I said um, I was so hurt by Christians who were full of self-righteousness, but that was before I saw my own self-righteousness. So I was really critical of them and I was really angry and I came back to South Africa after all these missionary trips and miracles and amazing things. and. I had been to Israel, and in Israel I went to Sfat, which is um, the place where Kabbalah is, and I had been, I'd mostly been in Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem you see a lot of religion, you've got all these people fighting, and, um, you know, like religiously fighting, like they all want to claim Jerusalem, and so it was just ugly, and I didn't like it, and I didn't want anything to do with religion and I realized, I don't know, I don't, I don't like this religious stuff because all these religions just point you to their book and I don't want to um, go to any specific book. I just want to get to know Jesus and spend time with Jesus. So at that stage, I even started saying the universal higher power. <laughs> I was like not even calling him Jesus. I was, I was just like, there is something bigger than religion. There is something greater than all of this. And so I came back in South Africa with this attitude that I, so, so now you've got to try and imagine this, but I've been like this good little girl. Um, I had some negative experiences happen in my life, but overall I was quite a good little girl. So um, I decided I'm buying cigarettes and I am going to just throw caution to the wind and I'm not going to do any of these idealistic good little Christian things. And I moved in with a guy and it lasted for two weeks. So two weeks passed and I was enjoying my freedom, rebellion, whatever you want to call it. And I thought, nah, it's not, it's not Christians that I don't like. It's, um, it's that judgmental ugliness that can come from any religion, you know. It's like it was like a 
it was something else that I that I didn't like. And I thought, no, Christians, I'm I'm just as bad as a Christian. <laughs> you know, I'm just as self-righteous. So um so I thought, no, I need to pull myself together. I need to get out of here. So there was a lady at work that had a garden cottage and I said, yep, I'm going to move into there. And I told this guy, I'm moving out. I'm pulling myself together again and leaving you back to your, um, your life before I invaded it. And so I moved out and I moved into this garden cottage at the beginning of February, 1999. And then on the 18th of February, 1999, I invited him over for coffee and he arrived just after work. So it must have been around five, six o'clock. I think five, more like five o'clock. And I made him tea and I made myself coffee. And in the Middle East, I'd been sitting on the floor quite a lot. And so in his house, I used to sit on the floor. And when he came to visit me, I sat, we sat on the floor and a man walked into the house and in South Africa, that's very normal for a per in Africa. It's very normal for someone to walk into your house and not to knock. And then they bow their head and that like is a greeting and it's like, a, like, hello, you know, it's like, um, so it wasn't weird for me that this guy walked into the house. Um, and my friend assumed that he was the gardener. Uh, but I didn't know who he was. He just was a stranger. And then um, he walked up to me and he put his gun on my forehead and he pulled the trigger. Well, actually, I shouldn't rush to that. He he put his gun on my forehead and he, he said, shh, and I screamed. <laughs> and then um, he said, it's going to be okay. It'll be okay. And then he pulled the trigger. And so I, in this realm, on, on the earth realm, what happened was in a split second, like, I don't know, less than a split second. But I continued in normal time. So I left my body. I was instantly in the light. There was no tunnel or light at the end of the tunnel. I was completely in the light. And I knew that the light was Jesus. And when I look at the light, it's like that Shekinah glory thing that I was explaining in the beginning, that he is surrounded by light. And he, like when you look at the light, you just see this ball of light, but then you see this figure coming out of the, the light. And he is in the light. He's, he is the light. And um, so he was there. And my first thing was... Lord have mercy, because I knew that I had just been so rebellious <laughs> and so disgusting and that I had made this like this choice to just be so whatever. And so that was my, my thing was Lord have mercy. And so I was on my knees. I wasn't looking at him or I, I was just down on my knees and in that position of like, Lord, please have mercy. And, um, and he was talking to me. And so we had a conversation and I didn't have like a life review or it, he, he just said I could come home. And I was like, because 
of all the spiritual things that had happened um, during my life, I had these promises about my husband and about children. And he had said um, that my husband's name would start with an R and he had told me my daughter's name and he told me the date I was going to get married. And he said this, this, uh, he gave me the date and he said, it's a set date. And so I was talking to him and I was saying, well, what about these things? What about the husband? What about this daughter that you told me about? What about um, the third of the date, you know? And so um, then the conversation continued and a lot of people have said to me through the years, um, so for many years I didn't talk about this, but I started talking about this in 2020 when I wrote the book. So from 2020 until now, um, people have asked me, um, what was the conversation? What did, what did you speak of? And I'm like, some things are personal. Some things are not for public. Some things are not for everybody. Some things are just like between you and your creator, you know. And um, so I share a little bit because it's relevant to the fact that I'm married and I've got children. But um I just feel like, man, you know, like some people are so nosy and it's great that they want to know about these, these things, but it's like, Hey, I'm not going to tell you everything. So, um, so we had this conversation and it felt like half an hour, just in normal time, just carrying on with time. And then he said that I could go back into my body and well, he didn't say you can go back into your body. He said, um, he said, um, it's okay if you want to die now or you can choose to live. And I thought, I want to live. And as I thought that, I was instantly back inside my body and the bullet had traveled down the barrel of the gun to my forehead and the guy moved the gun away and the bullet fell down and dropped into my lap and then it rolled down onto the floor. And so that entire spiritual experience that felt like a conversation was so quick in the natural realm. So time in the two is so different. And then, um, and then the man was angry. And so he took the gun and he whacked me on the side of the head, but I was fine. I didn't lose consciousness or anything. Um, and then, the ordeal carried on for about six hours of them being in the house. Um, so it was a, a group of people and it, it's quite significant because the friend that I had was military trained and he was um, very good at observation. And so at the end, when the police came, uh, he said, you know, he gave his statement and I went into the toilet. I didn't hear his statement. And then I came out and the police took my statement and I said, well, there were four guys. And she said, no, no, no. Uh, he says there were five. There was one that was standing watch over you the whole time. Now, the interesting thing was that he had insect spray sprayed into his eyes right at the beginning. And I didn't have anything. I could see exactly who was around me. And there was nobody standing watch over me. But during 
this ordeal, one of the um, experiences that I had, which was an out-of-body experience, where my spirit lifted out of my body completely and I could see what was going on in other rooms. So I could see that they were fighting over my kettle. <laughs> and God had like created this, they were confused, you know, and um, most people don't live the, these these things. They they usually don't live to talk about it. So um, so it was really significant that they were thrown into confusion. They were fighting over the most petty thing. But at that same time that the the two in the kitchen were fighting over that, I had two wrestling over me, and. Um, the the one thing that they had done, which is explained in the book, is they gagged me and they blindfolded me and they did what we call a butterfly. Um, they take metal coat hangers and they wire your arms behind your back in like a butterfly. Um, and so while this was happening, I had somebody <laughs> untwisting the wire and I could physically feel the wire was being untwisted. And uh, it obviously wasn't a person because they weren't trying to set me free. <laughs> um, and so when the wire was loose enough for me to get my one hand out, I could remove the gag that was in my mouth. And um, sorry, as I'm talking, I'm trembling. It's like, ugh. Um, just because I want to be careful about what I say, you know, you don't want to say things that are too um, scary for some people. So anyway, um, so I removed the gag and I was able to breathe again and get proper air, but I, I was never unconscious, but I was just, um, when they were strangling me, I was like, I had this like out of body thing, but I, I didn't lose consciousness. I was still able to continue. But anyway, this this angel um, untwisted the wire, and when the police said how many guys were there, he said five. I said four, and then the when the lady said no, there was one watching over you the whole time. I just knew that that was my guardian angel because I've seen my guardian angel a few times since the armed robbery. Um, but in you know in the thing I was just like oh that was an angel, and um, another supernatural weird thing is to do with language. So um, when I was in in Egypt, I went to go and see the pyramids, and I was driving in a taxi, and these guys were talking in Arabic, and they weren't taking me to the pyramids. <laughs> And I didn't know where they were taking me, but I spoke in Arabic. And I can't um, I spoke in Arabic and I said, where are you taking me? And I understood that I was speaking in Arabic and I understood what I was saying. And they answered me in Arabic and they said, oh, we're sorry. We didn't know you understand Arabic. <laughs> and I didn't. But they turned their taxi around and then they took me to the pyramids. So that was... Um, like something to do with like supernatural language. And then in the armed robbery, 
I was screaming. I was just yelling. I wasn't saying anything. I was just like, ah! <laughs> just yelling. And the way I interpret this is an angel took that about three or four houses down. There was a man, um, and that man came to the house after the police arrived, and he said to me, do you know me? And I said, no, I don't know you. And I don't remember his name, if it was Justin or Jason, but I'll call him Justin. And he said, well, then why were you saying Justin helped me? And I said, I wasn't. I wasn't saying that. I was just screaming. But obviously the angel took the words to his ear, and when he heard it, he heard Justin help me. And he was the person who called the police. So right at the end, um, the way that this came to an end is they were trying to move me to another location. Um, and then they decided that they weren't, they couldn't, they were struggling. So they said they were each going to have a turn at um, invading my privacy because <laughs> we don't want words censored here. Um, and so what happened was they decided, they, they said to my friend, we're just going to do this in front of you. And um, I was screaming and the guy called the police and the sirens came up the road. And so they were having second thoughts about what they were going to do. And then one of them was very determined. He, he was like, no, he's, he's hanging around. He's going to get, you know, he's going to do what he wanted to do. And, um, so this is the first experience I had after the near-death experience of reading someone's thoughts or, or sensing something that I couldn't have known. And so what happened was before, um, so we was, he was standing in the doorway and he was looking down at me and he was going to like kick me with his leg but as he was about to kick me, I knew that he was going to kick me. And so I kicked him and I kicked him straight up in the groin. And um, then he was swearing at me and everything. <laughs> but it was like that was my first experience straight after the armed robbery of um, sort of like experiencing. So I'd, I'd always been spiritual and I'd always had – I don't know if it's empathy or whatever you, I, I don't know all the words that aren't Christian. <laughs> um, so I had these like abilities to, to hear God and to speak. Like, like if someone was going to commit suicide, I would say, why do you want to commit suicide? Like I, I had these like knowings, but this was an, like the next level. This was like, um, this was like, a new depth of um, sensing, like a sensitivity to spiritual things. And I think it was because of that, that for the next 20 years, I was just really quiet about my story because I thought if I tell anybody, they're going to think I'm crazy, especially in Christian circles. You would have in the olden days be a witch and burnt at the stake. 
But then I discovered that in, within Christianity, there were people that were embracing this. And um, I've got a book here, which I found not too long ago, called The Mystic Awakening. And so um, there's a church in America called Bethel Church in Redding, California. And that guy, I think, goes to that. I don't know, but I think he goes to that church. But um, that book, Mystic Awakening, he's basically teaching Kabbalah to Christians, and he's using Christian terminology um, to explain exactly the same things that are in Kabbalah. So the thing with Kabbalah is that the Zohar, or Zohar, Z-O-H-A-R, is the book that they use. It's like a Bible. Um, but they use the Bible, the Tanakh and the Torah. Um, and then they have other books like the book of Abraham, which is the, uh, the book of formation. I think the illuminated man was talking about that one. So, um, so in this book, the mystic awakening, I found a group of Christians that embrace all those things that would be considered like psychic mediums, uh, fortune telling, all that kind of stuff, but they do it from a biblical perspective. So the Torah teaches us that we mustn't get involved in fortune telling and mediums and clairvoyance and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Jesus did things that are mystical Judaism, like walk on water and turn water into wine. And, um, you know, he did the mystical things that are what I would call the things under the baptism of the Holy Spirit, like healing being for today and seeing those kind of things in, in today. And so, um, so what I found was that there were groups of Christians that really rejected what I was saying and they said, oh, you're a clairvoyant and you're a witch. And I had a lot of, a lot of people tell me that I was a Christian witch. Um, and then in this group of people, I discovered that what I was experiencing from a little child was just seen as so normal and so accepted. And they were like, oh, that's just the prophetic gift. God has gifted you with dreams and prophecy and God has gifted you with the ability to see things. And that sensitivity is a good thing and it's a Holy Spirit sensitivity and it's not a negative thing. So it was quite nice to find a group of people that didn't criticize me because I loved wearing black. <laughs> As an artist, I like wearing black because it's like, um, it's like a white canvas, you know, <laughs> you have this plain palette to work with. So I, I enjoyed wearing black and I had a lot of Christians tell me that that made me um, a witch and evil and bad and you mustn't wear black. Um, and there was that thing of like the spiritual weirdness that I would look at people and I would say, you know, like as I say, the one with suicide, um, just meeting somebody and saying to them, well, why do you want to commit suicide? Just because I had that knowing and then being able to help them and say, you know, walk them through something. Um, so that I don't know the other terminology for that. I don't know what that 
is. Um, but that those abilities that I had had my whole life were not seen as bad and evil and things that I had to repent of. They were things that were seen as normal. And uh, they kind of helped me to see the things in the Bible, you know, like, well, look at, look at Jesus walking on the water from that perspective, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's pretty mystical, <laughs> unusual, whatever, you know. Um, and so there was like this forging of Christianity, Judaism, Kabbalah, whatever, but, um, but I still, I, I, I still wrestled with religion. So to me, religion is it causes wars and it co you know it's like I don't know if it's just um um I don't know what it is but my experience in Jerusalem was that it was a, a very negative thing and so I didn't want anything to do with religion. So when people say to me, oh your NED is a Christian NED and you know you're just religious <laughs> I I used to get so angry and I used to be like, I'm not, I'm not religious. And so I used to say that I'm spiritual, but not religious. And then people um, started interpreting that into paganism and whatever. And I was like, well, with Kabbalah, Kabbalah with a K is Jewish mysticism. And it's very much the Bible. It's very much the Torah and the Tanakh. And there is the God the, the one God, like here, o Israel, the Lord our God is one God. So it's, it's the God of Israel and it's the, the one God. And then you've got Kabbalah with a Q, which is the occult and witchcraft and divination and all of that kind of stuff. And they use the Kabbalah tree and they, they add, you can put the pentagram into the Kabbalah tree and so they use the Kabbalah tree, but they have all the, the tarot cards and all of that kind of thing. And then you have what they call Christian Kabbalah, which is the Kabbal. And it's sort of mixed a little bit with the occult. And it's like they can't, they, they don't necessarily speak Hebrew and they don't necessarily, and it's kind of like, I don't know. I don't know everything about it. Um, but for me, I was trying to push more in on the Jewish Kabbalah and understanding it from that perspective because to me, that that thing of the one God um, resonated. So hopefully my story wasn't too religious. <laughs> um, there's just one thing about the light that I wrote here and then I'll stop talking um so so in the light in that near-death experience um uh, there was like a knowing or a, a, a coming to understand stuff so in the beginning I had had all this um this turmoil about the Jewish Jesus and the Christian Jesus and whatever. And um, there was this understanding. There's something that Paul says. He says it doesn't matter if Jesus is spoken badly. At least Jesus is being spoken of. And so I had this understanding that it was like 
it doesn't matter that the Christians are claiming him and, um, you know, and the world sees him as the Christian God or whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter. It's, he is who he is. And um, it was just this, this understanding in the light, like you, you get understanding. And so the one thing that really, when, when people have said to me, and even in my book, I've written it, like, what is the one thing that you would say? And, and that is love. You have to love people. And so Jesus said, um, love the Lord your God as you uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love others as you love yourself. And so it, it actually starts, yes, you have to love God, but it starts with self. You have to love yourself. You can't love other people if you don't love yourself. And if you are bitter and you've got all this rubbish, you can't love other people. And so he had to work through me, had to get me to forgive those guys that came into my life and recognize that I wasn't wrestling with them and forgive and, you know, so that I could move on and keep living. And um, so you have to, and you, you have to love your own ugliness, recognize it and not say, Oh, it doesn't exist. Like recognize where you, where you a horrible person, recognize what you do that's ugly. And, um, and then if you love yourself and you can start loving other people and you love God. It's almost like an overflow. It's like when when the Bible speaks about my cup overflows, like you are so filled with God's love and so filled that you just overflow love into other people and you look beyond their religion and their skin color and their beliefs and um, their horrible things. That you know, We've all got horrible things. You look beyond that. And you you find this ability to walk in love. And I think coming back for me, I, I I just feel like that is just the most important thing. And when I heard your lady from Shabbat.org speaking about the Kabbalah and saying um, kindness, kindness is the most important thing, I was like, yes, you know, like, we really, really have to work on that. We have to work on being kind because it's so easy to be ugly. And um, my dad used to have the saying when we were growing up, um, it's also in my book, but when we were growing up, he said, um, if you can't be kind, be quiet. And that was like the rule in our house. If you can't be kind, be quiet. And I think it's a good rule to live by. Like if you, if you can't say something kind, rather just don't say anything. (laughs) So that's probably it. I think Um, I've healed a lot from the post-traumatic, you know, the attack was very traumatic and uh, I had to go through a very long healing process. So when so I was stabbed multiple times, and um, so there was physical healing, but there was also emotional healing and being scared and overcoming fears and terror and stuff like that. And um, 
what I found when when I try to share my story originally in 2020 when I was writing the book was um, that as soon as I started trying to, like I would say, well, these guys came into my house. I was living in New Zealand and I remember this lady saying, what, they came into your house? And I thought, oh, my goodness, if you can't handle that, you will never be able to handle what they did (laughs) you know and so when I wrote the story I tried really hard to keep it um to to show and not tell to to show like they strangled me they stabbed me they did certain things but um to not do it too graphic so that somebody could pick up the book and read it but it's not the kind of story that I would um give to a young person you know I'd give it to an older person but what um what has come out of that is I've often found myself in situations where somebody has not 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 a South African crime but like for example this one lady her son was stabbed and she was really really uh tormented by that and she was grieving it and and she was going over, like replaying it in her head and she was thinking how terrible it must be for a son. And I said, well, from my perspective, the adrenaline that was going through my body, I had no idea that I was being stabbed. I had, I, I mean, I could see the guy was punching me. <laughs> I didn't realize he was punching me with a blade. Um, it was it was like a realization later after the adrenaline wore off, after I went back to clean up, when I saw the knife sitting on the ground and when I like put two and two together and I was like, Oh, that's what those lines are. You know, it was, um, but in the actual, uh, the fear, the, the, the fear that was happening and the adrenaline, I think that, you know, people don't feel everything that we think they feel. And um, I, I can't speak for everybody. Obviously, everybody has different experiences. But for me to be able to say to people that have lost someone and they're really concerned that that person was hurting or, um, you know, that their experience was so terrible, for me, I think again, as I started right at the beginning about Stephen being stoned in the Bible, while he was being stoned, heaven opened and he saw Jesus and he was just so wrapped up in Jesus. He was just like, oh, you know, and he didn't feel the stones. He didn't know, okay, they're stoning me right now. He was just like, oh, my Jesus, you know, and that's what it was like for me. It was like my physical body didn't matter. My spirit body was out of it. The trauma pushed it out. And I was at peace and I was in a happy place, you know. (laughs) And um, for people that are tormented thinking, you know, somebody they know must have suffered or whatever, I I really think that that is for everyone. I think that we... Our, our our spirit gets out <laughs> it moves <laughs> in that adrenaline you know and um 
And when I came back into my body, um, I didn't immediately feel the pain, but after the ordeal, the, the, that night I had like flashbacks and stuff, but then the next day I started feeling the pain of what had happened. So after the adrenaline had worn off, um, so yeah, I think, and there's also a story. Um, a guy, he his book was called Ninety Minutes in Heaven. He spoke a lot about um, how depressed he was afterwards, and that he was upset that he was back in a broken body. Um, and he explained in, in his book, he explained it, and that helped me to work through that side of it as well. You know, just the not wanting to be back here. <laughs> up there is much nicer um and yeah so coming to terms with the pain in his physical body because he was left um and like in a wheelchair um but understanding that and there's a lot of stories that I've heard where people actually see their wheelchair as a blessing not you know like for us we're looking at it and we think oh well you know god like why did you do that but for those people, they go, well, actually, that was one of the best things that ever happened to me, you know, or whatever. So um, so for me, um, I was very confident in not, 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 conf- I was very, I was very quiet. I was a very shy kind of person. Um, but I had courage to get on airplanes, to go around the world, backpack, to do whatever he said. And then the armed robbery, I had an airplane ticket to go to Italy and I canceled the airplane ticket. I was like, I'm not traveling alone. (laughs) I'm scared, you know? (laughs) And, um, so for me, part of the struggle was that emotional baggage where you're scared to go out your house or you have panic attacks or, um, you know, all of that rubbish. So I had to work through that. Um, and the way that I did it was I challenged myself. I, if I was scared, cause the attack happened at five o'clock until about 11 o'clock at night. And so at five o'clock or as the sun was going down, I would start getting sweaty hands and panic and, and lock the doors. <laughs> and, um, I said to my husband, I am going shopping. I'm going to go and do the grocery shopping at five o'clock when I'm scared, you know, (laughs) and, um, I just had that thing of like, do it scared. Like if you're scared, do it. And so that was a big part for me of how I got through, um, the healing process. And sometimes I couldn't, sometimes I would say, I'm going to do that. And then I just melt and cry and not be able to do stuff. Um, but for the most part, I was able to challenge myself to um stand well to rise up and to stand well and to just keep on walking so thanks for letting me share my story <laughs> don't know how long that was okay um let me just type something all right you ready yes natalie thank you for sharing your experience with us are you still in communication with jesus today Yes. When you communicate with Jesus, do you hear a male's voice speaking to you or do you kind of hear it in your own voice? Okay. So I don't hear voices in my head, 
um, there is a intuitive knowing or things will stick out to me. Like if I read a scripture, it will stick out or stand out to me. Like um, last night I was a bit nervous about coming and speaking because I have never done this. Mm. And um, so I was reading the children's Bible to my daughter and there was a sentence and it said, God will be with me. And I was just like, yep, God will be with me. So he talks to me like that, like reassurance through, it could be through a billboard or through an advertisement or it's not always through the Bible, but it'll be something. And I'll just be like, yep, I know he's talking to me. And another thing that's happened since the armed robbery was um, he gives me a heart every single day. Mm. So it'll be like, my kids will be spraying water and you know, spraying the hose or something and I'll look at the ground and there's a heart or my daughter will come to me with a chocolate and it's a heart or she'll make a little Play-Doh heart. Or I don't know. It's like uh, he just he gives me a heart every single day and he has, it's from 1999 until now is 23 years. So 23 years, every single day, Jesus gives me a heart mm. <laughs> and I don't, ask for it or look it's like when it happens I'm like oh thank you you know so he just reassures me that he loves me and um I don't necessarily hear voices you know but when he did speak to me he's got a male voice obviously um he speaks with very few words he's not like me he talks too much um and if you think of like a commander of an army or a military person. He's like that. Like he, he, he's very direct and he's a, he speaks, but he, he commands. He's like, um, so when he said to me that I could come back into my body, he said, okay, but it will be a struggle. You know, he was like, he told me he knew. So I knew what to expect, but he was like direct and, uh, to the point and when he when he speaks he doesn't need a lot of words for you to understand what he is saying you know he speaks very few words but but you know exactly what what he's saying um then the other thing that i have had is the audible voice of god so the audible voice of god i heard before the armed robbery when i went to amsterdam he said um uh, he wanted me to go to Amsterdam in six days. And he said, Amsterdam in six days. And um, and so that audible voice sounds like him, but I personally believe that it's my, because it sounds like it's behind you, sort of like next to you. Um, so I think that that is my guardian angel because angels are messengers and they carry the message. And he is speaking the words that Jesus tells him to speak. So I've had that incident, which is in my book when I went to Amsterdam. Um, and then an incident that's not in the book that happened more recently was um, in Brisbane. There was turmoil inside me about catching the train to go down to the airport or taking the car. And um, I was standing in the bathroom. And this person behind me said, you should take the car. <laughs> mm. And I thought it was my husband. And so I said, 
you think so, honey? Because it was like uh, that that familiar voice, like you just know his voice, you know, the sheep know his voice. So um, it was it was like this. And then I looked around, I went out the bathroom and looked into the bedroom because it was an ensuite bathroom. Um, and he wasn't, my husband wasn't in the bedroom. And I realized I was like, Oh, that wasn't my husband. That was, you know, the other familiar voice. And, um, but that was very specific and it, it was obviously important whatever the reason was, his, he knew the reason, but it was obviously important enough to say, no, go in the car, <laughs> you know, <laughs> take the car, don't take the train. So I have had the audible voice of God before the armed robbery. Has Jesus ever revealed to you anything that he thinks humanity should know? Love, definitely love. So he said that the greatest thing that we can do is love and it was um it was that that the greatest commandment love the lord your god um love others as you love yourself and he really like showed me like people don't love themselves and they have so much bitterness and they make themselves sick and um they need to they need to be walking in love so yeah he did he definitely did he was like that is the mo- that is that is the greatest commandment people need to be loving has the memory of your nde itself when you were with jesus faded over time or is it still as real today as it was the day it happened it's still as real today and the vision from 1979 is still as real. That's why I was able to paint, um, you know, um, specifics like like the sky in his hand. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. And there was a art competition that I told you about where I painted his eyes brown. Um, so yeah, it's clear like you remember it 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 seems to have no expiry date but I was always scared of sharing it because I thought if I shared it it would go away (laughs) you don't happen to have that picture of Jesus that you that you painted at hand with you do you besides the hand like that like a picture of his face I've, I've got this one but I don't have the lion so I've got that one interesting that's the way Jesus appeared to you? Yeah. So um, <laughs> when the, this picture comes from the Passion movie, mm-hmm. and I think different people, um, get they, they get different revelations about Jesus. But for me, right from small, he really wanted me to understand his Jewishness mm-hmm. and how the Bible had stripped that Jewishness. So in the preface of the Bible, they they take out all the Jewish words like Elohim and all the Jewish names and they Adonai and they replace it with Christ and Lord and just how um he kind of wanted me to go back and rediscover that. And there's a nice verse in Jeremiah 616, which says when you're standing at the crossroads, ask for the ancient ways. 
and ask where the good way is. And I love that because it's like he was taking me back to the ancient ways and, um, you know, showing me things that had been replaced. And, um, and he is known as the good shepherd and the way. And it's like ask where the good way is. And whenever, you know, you're following him or talking to him, he leads you in that good way. Do you think Jesus wanted you to know more about his Jewishness in culture or in religion? Culture. I don't, I think the religion, so, so every culture has got very specific things about them. And one of the things with Jesus was that he had the Nazarite vow. And he he taught me that with the Nazarite vow, they weren't allowed to cut their hair. And so in some pictures, you see Jesus with short hair, but, you know, he was explaining to me like, no, I was under the Nazarite vow. And uh, so he had longer hair. And so it was more um, breaking traditions or break because of art, because he was teaching me through art. So looking at the pictures of, uh, you know, the 1500s or whatever, and um, he was teaching me, no, when you paint me, I want you to paint me differently. Um, and there was also a lot of tension in my own mind about painting him because the Bible says don't make any images. And I was like, well, I don't want to create idols and images, you know. <laughs> so I had this um, this, this um, like war within myself about actually painting him. And then this one, he commissioned me to do it. And he, you know, this, um, the crucifixion one, a church asked me to paint live at their church because this is a new thing in churches where people paint. And I didn't have the release to paint that in the church. I had to paint it at home and work through it. And um, in the church, I just painted a big cross and a stone that was rolled away. But um, I had that that image sitting on the side. Um, but I felt like he was saying, this you can do. This I'll you know I'll allow you to do this kind of thing, but I am aware that sometimes people um, they'll take an image and they'll they'll frame it and they'll stick it in their house. And some people it's not an issue. It's just it reminds them of of him or whatever. But some people will turn that thing into an idol, and um, he didn't want me to create things that people would. Worship. With all of your experiences, what is your favorite thing about Jesus? His laugh. <laughs> so um, that day when I saw the angels in the ceiling, um, he's got a deep, a deep laugh, and um, when he laughs, it's like you just want to laugh with him, you know. And um, so your spirit body has got it's a lot lighter and it's a lot more energetic and so I was dancing with him and and he was it, it was just so beautiful but in my 
natural body. <laughs> Obviously, I don't move around so much. Um, but that experience of his his joy and his laughter, um, I don't think we laugh enough. Uh, you know, the world's quite serious, especially where I've lived. <laughs> you know, I think um, he's he's so full of joy and I think he's, I don't know, it's like love, laughter. If someone would like to get your book, where would they find it? The easiest thing is I have one link, which is a Linktree link, Natalie Studio. So my name is, I'm sure you'll put the link up as well, but it's, um, it's Natalie with an H. So N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E-S for Natalie's and in studio, S-T-U-D-I-O, um, Linktree Natalie Studio. And on that is just everything. I've got my ebooks, my um, social media, if people want to connect with me or talk to me. Um, and then what I did decide to do is I know that you don't um, endorse my book. You've never read it. Mm-hmm but I am offering a discount coupon to everybody that watches this podcast. And I will leave that for as many years as I have the shopping cart. So the discount coupon is Jeff Mara. And at the checkout, if you put in Jeff Mara, you'll get a discount on, on this book, um, discovering an artist. And then I'm writing a new one, which is going to be published in about September, and it's you know the launch of it is October. It's called Adventures in the Light, um, where I explain more about the light and the energy and the um, oh I don't know more about the light um, and other th- you know some of the stories that I've shared in this podcast. I also have got in that book, um, so that code will also work on that book because. Um, I'm very grateful for you allowing me onto this. And I would like to know, you know, who comes to me through this podcast um, because you never know where people are being sent from. But if they've come specifically through this, it's nice to know. Mm -hmm. After you put that book out, maybe we can have you back and we can talk about that. Sounds good. (laughs) After watching this podcast, people may want to reach out to you and ask you questions. Are you open yes. to that? And if so, yes. how should they reach you? They can reach me any way that they choose. Um, there's, I, I've got an Instagram page, which is a public page. And I have a art page on Facebook, which is a public page. Um, I don't have a website. I do have an email address for people who want to write long letters they can write to my email and my email is visible on, on all my stuff. So they should be able to find me. Um, preferably don't phone me. <laughs> I'm sure my phone number is somewhere, but um, I am a mother. I have five children. I am homeschooling and in my normal life, I struggle to answer my phone and I'm much better with text messages or whatever. So I think email and messages on social media would be the best way. All right, Natalie, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? I would repeat the love message. Um, Love yourself. 
if you have got anything that is um, making your soul heavy, um, bitterness or grief or something, then go and do something to get rid of that. You know, if you um, if you've got any heaviness, you really need to release it and and be able to love yourself so that you can love other people. And in loving yourself, you know, simple things like eating well and getting some exercise or um, being nice to people. <laughs> um, in loving yourself, I think you will find that you will heal of physical sicknesses. There will be, you know, things in your body that you've struggled with. And, and as you walking away from the bitterness and the unforgiveness and things that people have carried, um, I think they'll find that they get better and they heal. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> Natalie, thank you for joining us today and sharing your experience with us. I appreciate you and I wish you the best. I appreciate you interviewing me. Thank you for finding me. And um, I hope people are blessed through what they've heard. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.